Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Minute where we do our best to appear as non threatening as possible while watching Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about minute 26, which begins with the feral child running towards the black on black, and it ends with Max getting frisked by Zeta. Happy Monday morning, Julia. Good Monday morning. It is another week, and we are starting off with a lovely pastoral view of the feral child running across a burnt and scarred plain surrounding the embattled compound. Yes, a lovely vista. Straight out of like an episode of Lassie or something like that. I feel like if you would, uh, if you gave the feral child the Lassie treatment, they'd probably just call him Laddie, except none of them are Scottish or Irish. Yeah, while well, Laddie is a good replacement for Lassie. Yeah, I don't know if anyone would come to think of that, but it is kind of funny to think. You know, you get the that whistling intro, and then the feral child cause, comes bounding over the lead or over the ridge, and he's got his boomerang in his hand. I love that you equate the feral child with a dog. Well, he um, kind of acts he, like one. He okay, yeah, he does. I'll definitely give you that. And he has the hair for it. Yeah. He's got like a mane. I'm imagining the the journey of his hair growth. Okay. Because obviously no one's taking care of him. So nobody would be like, hey, feral child, it's time to cut your hair. But he probably ended up with a mullet because the hair in front was like getting in his face and getting in his way. And, you know, they don't have scrunchies mm-hmm. in post-apocalyptic Australian outback. So he just cut off probably with his boomerang. Mm-hmm. Cut off the parts that were in his way, and you have a mullet. Like you do. Like you do. Kind of wonder if that's like the history of the mullet. Okay, this is going to sound like an odd little tangent, but mm. what tangents aren't odd and little? Most of them are big. But anyway, did you ever see the Flintstones movie starring John Goodman? I don't think I ever saw it like all the way through, but I'm generally aware of it. If my memory serves, which I might be thinking of one of the sequels where they replaced all the principal actors, but I think Stephen Baldwin played yeah, that Barney Rubble right. when... Barney and Betty, I think her name is, when they adopt Bam Bam, they need to give the kid a haircut. And because it was the 90s, they slapped a bowl on his head and just cut around Ah. the edge of the bowl. They gave him the 90s bowl cut. Yes. And I feel like if this maybe were made a decade later someone would have done that to the feral child. They would have slapped a bowl over his head and given him a bowl cut. Yes. For the time, I guess it was the style. Looking back on it now, it's like, oh, why would you? It's just, it's a look. Did you ever have a bowl cut? (laughs) No. I did. (laughs) I didn't even know that was possible. What, to have a bowl cut on a girl? No, just like that that was ever... Like a thing? A, a thing. I got my bowl cut, if I remember... Did I just miss... Did I? Was I not paying attention to pop culture? And you know what? That, that's no, actually, no, you that makes were, a lot of sense. you were still like a baby. That's why. Oh. <laughs> because... Was, was this I'm, an 80s thing? It was a, like 90 or 91. I'm not oh, okay. 100% sure. But I used to have... So it was like super early point, 90s. Oh, yeah, yeah. Up until that point, I had very, very long hair, like longer than I've ever had it since. And it was like, not like ringlets, but it was, it was curly. And one summer, I don't remember like (laughs) what the heck I was thinking. 
but it was my choice. Like I was like, I want, I want my hair cut off. Mm-hmm. And my mother was like, okay. And my aunt did it. We had like a family reunion vacation. So like all my aunts and uncles, we were all together at summer vacation, a week out on Cape Cod. And we did it there, I think. I mean, it was a really long time ago. other adults allowed her to do it? It was 1990-whatever. Okay, that's a good point. It was a bowl cut with, like, bangs, like, all the way around. Yeah. I should see if I can dig up some pictures. I'm working off memory at the moment. I think I remember being very concerned with the daily goings-on on Sesame Street back then. Right. You would have been, like, four. I was young enough that the daily program... No, I don't even think Nickelodeon was a thing back then. You know, I didn't have... I think it was... Not for you, but yeah, it was for us, I didn't have cable in my house, so... I have a vague memory of... It would have been younger than 10. Yeah. Just thinking of, like, the house that we were living in at the time. But I have a vague memory of, like, getting Disney Channel and getting Nickelodeon and that being, like, a thing we were excited about. Mm-hmm. My big thing when I was a kid was basic cable and every Saturday on, usually it was either 38 or 56, which was UPN or the WB channel, they would show movies. And that's where I first saw The Road Warrior. To tie it back. So our little trip down Nostalgia Lane, I'm trying to bring it back on topic. (laughs) Came back around. (laughs) But yeah, watching Road Warrior on that basic cable channel, those were my first exposures to this series and where I really got on board with it. All of that spawned from the feral child and his haircut as he's running across this field. He's running because Max has arrived in the black on black. And the next thing that we see is Max stepping out of his interceptor and he's got Nathan over one shoulder, which... I'm kind of glad that they didn't show us Max trying to pull Nathan out of the car. Yeah, I did note that, that the first time we see them outside the car, like the awkward, the difficult part's already done. Yeah. Especially for the actor who's playing Nathan. Yeah, because he's supposed to be very injured right now. (laughs) Yeah. One thing I did appreciate and notice was, back to the feral child, how immediately enamored with Max the feral child is. You read it that way? Yes. I I didn't see him being immediately enamored. I saw him as incredibly suspicious of Max. So you think his running up to the car and then walking next to Max is more of a defensive move? I see it as he's quickly attaching himself to Max. I think the feral child going on the move and getting as close to the black on black as he can and shadowing Max was just a way to keep a very close eye on him to make sure that he doesn't cause trouble. Because the feral child, like we said, is very dog-like. This is someone new. This is someone new that he's come to his house. And so he's going to go up and to keep with the metaphor, sniff him a bit and see if he's squirrely at all. And so he's like getting up there. And when we see his expression in a couple of shots here, his face is kind of scrunched up and he's kind of scowling at Max. It's not quite to the point that Max has won him over yet. Interesting with the dog metaphor is that... Dogs attach themselves to people quickly. Yeah, but I mean, this is the initial meeting. You know, he yeah. hasn't gotten to that point just yet. Okay. So Max is getting out of the car. We're, we are saved the awkwardness of pulling Nathan out of the back seat. And Max has Nathan over one shoulder, and he's holding up his weapon belt with his other hand so that they can see it. And something that we sort of hear, if you listen really hard, it shows up in the subtitles. You hear Papagallo, and this is the first thing we hear from him. He says, show your weapons and step forward steady now. And as Max walks towards the compound gate, you can see Papagallo up on top of the 
the wall and then there's some other defenders Mm -hmm. on the other side of the gate as Max is walking. Then we get that shot of the feral child walking next to him and he's just not exactly audibly snarling, but he's like putting on his mean face. But he's an eight-year-old, so it's not super intimidating. So it's kind of cute. It's like, oh, look at you acting tough. See, I read that as imitation. (laughs) He He is walking next to Max imitating his serious demeanor. Interesting that you say he's imitating at this point because his style of walking is his own pace. It's his own rhythm of steps. And this shot specifically is going to be referenced I think it's minute 56 when Max, by that point, Max has come back with the rig. And so he's kind of won everybody in the compound's trust. But Mm -hmm. in this first instance, the feral child is walking at his own pace. He's kind of walking tough or whatever. Max is walking at a very different tempo. And later on in minute 56, we're going to see how the feral child walks in comparison to Max. And it's going to be very different. Okay. I'll go into the specifics when we actually get get to to it. it. I don't want to jump ahead, ruin that minute all the way down the line. Okay. As we watch them walking, we hear again from Papagallo. He says, take it real easy. Do you want a little bit of background information about Papagallo? Sure. Okay. So Papagallo is the leader of the compound. He was played by Mike Preston. His known for listing on IMDb includes Road Warrior in the first slot. The second slot is the TV show Homicide. Which we've heard lots yep a lot of people showing up he played detective sergeant bob delaney and then apparently over the course of his run he got promoted to senior detective bob delaney and they make a distinction so was he like a show regular as far as homicide was concerned he was on 42 episodes Hmm. his character was a londoner who had been a constable in the british police force came to australia they describe him as a snappy modern dresser who pushed his clothes and hair length to the regulation limit he like i said lasted 42 episodes and spoiler alert for a tv show that happened in the 70s his character character is killed in episode 375 by a letter bomb. Uh, the episode we'll both remember Angie, and that episode specifically ends with a police funeral with full honors specifically filmed for that episode and character. So he got a nice little set send off of yeah. that stint. Next up on his known for is a little ditty called Metal Storm colon The Destruction of Jared Sin. Okay. Yeah, that look on your face describes it all. So Metal Storm, for short, was directed by Charles Band and written by Alan J. Adler and was a space-age western which combines themes of esoteric sorcery and high technology filmed in 3D. Does that sound like Star Wars to you? That description. That's Star Wars. Interestingly enough, MadMaxMovies.com, they have a page entitled Mad Max Imitations, Knockoffs, Ripoffs, and Wannabes. Yeah. And Metal Storm is right smack dab at the top of that page. Wow. It's interesting that I thought it sounded like Star Wars and other pe- plenty of other people think it sounds like Mad Max because on Friday when we were talking to Curtis, we drew lots of comparisons between Mad Max and Star Wars. Mm-hmm. It's that hero's journey yes. stuff with yes. Rear and its equity head. In Metal Storm... Mike Preston plays the character of Jared Sin. In the context of the story, he is like the big bad. Jared Sin is the master bad guy that the hero has to overthrow. And there are one-eyed raider bosses. There's a dude with a robot arm that shoots 
hallucinogenic goo at people. Like it, if it hits you, it drives you crazy. And the main character of that movie pretty much dresses exactly like Max. And <laughs> the bad guys drive around buggies with metal oh, on. attached to them to make them look like Mad Max buggies. Oh my gosh. I do find it interesting. So what was the title character's name again? The main character of the movie. I haven't said his name yet. His name no, is Dogen. The title the, character. But the bad guy who Mike Preston plays is Jared Sin. So the movie is named after the antagonist. Right. We don't see that very much, do we? No. I'm, I'm trying to think about movies, which is just too broad a topic. That to... would be like um, Lord of the Rings, The Fall of Sauron, or yeah. Star Wars Episode Six. The destruction of Palpatine. Well, the the Empire. Empire Strikes Back. That's named after the antagonist. That's true. It's different than here because this is specifically mentions that this is the story of Metal Storm, the downfall of yeah a, a character's name in the title. So it's just not a very common way to yeah. name movie naming the antagonist. Yeah, that would be like taking the movie Predator and calling it you know Jungle Hijinks, the death of the Predator, and it's like. <laughs> You're, I don't want to say you're putting a massive spoiler in the title of your movie. Like, mm. you watch Metal Storm, and when you hear the full title, you're like, well, I guess Jared's sin's going to be destroyed. And then you watch it, and you're like, oh, wait, so the main character is a guy named Dogen who dresses like Mad Max? Okay, who is this Jared Sin? Oh, he's the master bad guy? Well, I guess he's going to lose. <laughs> Yeah, it's not very well reviewed and did not make a ton of money. But hey, they were trying to cash in on that craze. and It's kind of too bad that it didn't make that much money because oh. other people cashed in on that craze too. I should show and you people the trailer. Love it. <laughs> the trailer for this movie is awful. Like the, <laughs> like the post-apocalyptic Western is a huge genre yeah. that people love and they... so much. It's so much fun. So, you know, they tried with this movie and... I say, we might have to put it on the short list for <gasps> hiatus material because oh. it is just bonkers bad. Yeah? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll show you the trailer when we're done recording. Okay. The last movie in the known for section is 1981's Maybe This Time. And the title... Sounds like a romantic comedy. The title actually has... What's it called with three dots in a row? Is that an ellipses or... Yeah, I think it's an ellipses. So it's an ellipses, maybe this time. It's a 1980 Australian film featuring Judy Morris... It was directed by Chris McGill and written by Bob Ellis and Anne Brooksbank. The Wikipedia plot summary says, and I quote, Fran, played by Judy Morris, the assistant to university professor Patty, played by Mike Preston, is about to turn 30. She is having an affair with a married minister's aide, Stephen, played by Bill Hunter. She returns home to the country town she grew up in and has a fling with an old flame, Alan played by Ken Shorter. She also begins sleeping with Patty. So this is a Lifetime movie. I think so. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to knock Lifetime movies. Oh, they, my parents love them. They have their purpose. Right. And they, they do what they're supposed to do. They fill a niche. Yes. Everyone's got a niche. We're and sometimes, I know you don't because this is not your style, but sometimes you just want to watch a movie that has no lasting impact, <laughs> is just enjoyable to watch, and Lifetime movies fill that need. A movie about, you know, a lady who's turning 30 and just wants to sleep with a bunch of dudes. I mean, just in the description, she slept with three men. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
I do find it a little funny that she's sleeping with a minister's aide. I, I mean, there could have been like a whole movie there about like the hijinks of sleeping with someone who was supposed to be devoted to his religion. Yeah. Or at least... Like, as a lifestyle. Yeah. Or at least be directly helping every day the person who is, like, full-time yeah. ministry. I vote we don't watch that one. No. I have no interest in it. No, it doesn't It doesn't sound that interesting. <laughs> Preston's first acting credit is from 1967's Bellbird. It's a television show. Between 67 and 2002, his acting totals come to 53 different roles. All right. So, not okay. bad. Curious what he looks like today. He... I found a couple of his songs from when he was still living in England and recording music. He had he did a cover of a song from Oliver. What was his band's name? Or his? He was just a solo. It was just a solo. Okay. Because and... I, I type in Mike Preston and it comes up with Ravens. Right? Yeah, it was like the name of his band or something. I don't know, but I can't remember the title of the song. I know it was from Oliver, and the song's title was. I'd Do Anything. He recorded it in 1960. And then later in 1961, he recorded another song called Marry Me. Marry Me peaked oh, at number yep. 14 on the UK charts. I did an image search for Mike Preston, and it's it's a pretty common name, so it's smattered with all sorts of different people, but... <laughs> I'm not seeing a lot of more recent pictures of Mike Preston. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing a lot of old pictures of Mike Preston from like his singing days. Very young Mike Preston. Yeah. You know who Mike Preston reminds me of in this movie specifically? Who's that? Mick Jagger. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's got, got a, the lip thing going on. He, yeah. He's, he, yeah. you know, looks like he stuck his and, face in a beehive. Right. <laughs> um, it's interesting you say that because I think he looks like his younger pictures look like michael jones from a oh yes i see it like the baby face he's mm -hmm. got the lip thing going on too michael jones and the lots of curly dark hair <laughs> oh that's great oh my gosh yeah it looks exactly like michael jones his younger <laughs> stuff but i'm not seeing more recent pictures yeah maybe i am and i don't recognize him yeah maybe he's Maybe he's changed quite a bit. Dropped out of the public eye in the last, let's see, 15 years since 2002? Yeah. I'd have to go look at specific movies. Yeah. Getting back to the minute. Yeah. Max is very slowly, very cautiously walking towards the gate. Papagallo is kind of shouting instructions as he goes. Max reaches a certain point and he hears, that's as far as you go. And so Max stops. Papagallo tells him to turn around. I just wanted to point out how wonderfully cooperative Max is being. Mm -hmm. Like, he's very aware of his movements, aware of what is going on. He's doing exactly what he is told to do and being very safe. And he's being very transparent. Right. Very compliant. Calm. I think that's a combination of having experience, telling people how he wants them to act. Yes. And also an intense desire not to get shot with a flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Behaving this way is the best way to the fuel. Right. He stops when he's told, and he's told to turn around. And so he starts turning himself. As Max turns, the people in the compound finally catch sight of Nathan's face. Because before, all they saw was legs. Yeah. And from the crowd comes the voice of Big Rebecca, and she cries, Nathan! Nathan! It's Nathan! And I'm like, hey, do you think that's Nathan? I think that guy is Nathan. That might be Nathan. <laughs> so, from the top of the wall, another character, Zeta, yells, hurry, grit the stretcher, and Papagallo instructs Max, he says, lose them. And so Max 
being smart, drops his weapon belt, because what else would Papagallo be talking about? After Max drops his weapon, Papagallo commands them to open the gate, hurry up with the stretcher. As the gate opens, so many people just swarm out of the gate. (laughs) I kind of tried to list, like, okay, these people come first, like the people with the weapons come out first, and Mm -hmm. then people come out to like manhandle max and then the medical type people come out but no big rebecca's right there in front oh yeah the first person we see through that gate is warrior woman with the bow and arrow yes behind her is zeta with a crossbow big rebecca's there and she runs out and she's shouting nathan and zeta the guy with the crossbow gets right up next to max he say hey that's fine it's fine just stay here and then he looks over to warrior woman and he's like cover him cover him come on quick quick this guy kind of seems like i would say papagallo's second in command would you say that's pretty so far yeah appropriate based on this scene where he's the first one out based on another scene where he's kind of papagallo's mouthpiece shouting across the compound i kind of get the feeling that he's important somehow so zeta the compound dweller is played by william zappa his best known for on imdb include this movie a 2012 production called dead europe the 1990 film quigley down under where he plays riley and the 2000 movie Bootmen, where he plays walter quigley down under i think i've actually heard of Oh, yeah. We mentioned Quigley Down Under several times during the first movie. And I think it was on our list for hiatus material before we went bi-weekly with it. Okay. When we were going to do a full 12, 12, Quigley Down Under was one of those movies. So we might have to uh, put that one back on the short list. I don't think I ever took it off the list because it's Tom Selleck and he's got the big full mustache and yeah, everything. That would be why pictures of Tom Selleck are coming up in an image search for <laughs> William Zappa. Bill Zappa was born on October 13th, 1948 in Hadley, Essex, England. UK, which means that his birthday is this upcoming Friday. His first acting credit on IMDb is for 1976's The Sullivans, which was a television show about a family set during World War II. It only ran for one season. Not Mm. great. His most recent credit is from 2016, so he's still going strong. He's still active. Yeah, he turns 69 on Friday. Back in the movie... The people with the stretcher have arrived to where Max is, and they take Nathan off of his shoulders, and they lower him down onto the stretcher, and someone says, watch his leg, which is great advice, because there's definitely something wrong with his leg. I still feel like the most pressing issue is the fact that he's got arrows sticking out of him. Right, because, yeah, an injury to your leg will eventually kill you, probably by blood poisoning yeah. or clots, but direct damage to your respiratory system is going to kill you a lot faster. Exactly. <laughs> Especially considering that Max seems to have tied off the leg. Max did what he could for the time being for the leg, but for for Nathan's chest, there really wasn't anything he could do. The best thing he could do was nothing, which yeah. is what he did. So when we were talking about collapsed lungs on Friday, I had more information yeah. about how to treat it. I've saved that information for one other day this week. I can't remember which one off the top of my head. But when we start talking about the work being done, the work being done on him. Yeah. So we'll know exactly what should have been done. And very obviously, it's not done. After they take Nathan away from Max, Zeta comes up behind him and starts frisking Max. So you've got Zeta right behind Max, you've got Warrior Woman off to his right, and they are 
checking him for additional weapons, which is very smart. Yes. Considering that Max is the kind of person to hide knives, you know, under his car, in his boot, Mm -hmm. anywhere he can fit one. I was expecting, as I was watching this minute, for Max to make some sort of face like, oh, you call this a frisk? I frisk way better than this because I used to be a cop. But no, he's constantly keeping a straight face. He's not giving too much away. He's, if anything, observing trying to take in as much visual information as he can. He he may not want to advertise. I think we've talked about this before, probably. He doesn't want, necessarily want to advertise that he's a cop or was a cop. Right. People might still have feelings about law enforcement. Yeah. We, we don't know the history of the role law enforcement played in the downfall of society. I'm sure that there were plenty of times when law enforcement had to contain crowds. Yeah. And there might be still try be and some, maintain order. Some old wounds. Yeah. There are reasons why these people are out in the middle of nowhere. But I definitely see where you're coming from. Maybe he doesn't want to advertise. Yes. I was a cop because they might interpret that as I was combat trained and am a dangerous person. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he's being very quiet. Who's not being quiet? And this is where the minute kind of wraps up. As Max is being frisked, we hear Big Rebecca shouting, you and your handiwork. And so we're going to see where she is, what she's doing, why she's shouting tomorrow. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit madmaxminute.com click on the support link at the top of the page and check out our patreon to help us keep the tanks full thank you for joining us for minute 26 of the road warrior we'll see you tomorrow kiss everything yes i do anything 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 anything